The sermon scripture for today comes from John 4, and I will be reading verses 7 through 15. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Kara, for reading that scripture for us. And if you have a Bible, you can open to that passage in John chapter 4 as the kids are Dismissed to their classes, John chapter 4. Well, one of the movies that I grew up watching uh, as a kid is the 1984 classic, The Karate Kid. If uh, you've never seen that movie, uh, Daniel, the main character, is a high school student, and he's being severely bullied in his new school. And so he turns to the wise old karate master, Mr. Miyagi, for help who agrees to train him, and so Daniel shows up at the home of Mr. Miyagi for training, but instead of teaching him punches and kicks like Daniel's expecting, if you've seen the movie, you know Mr. Miyagi hands him a sponge, and he says, wax the car, and then he has him uh, sand the floor and paint the fence. Daniel's a little confused, but he goes along with it. After hours of hard work, Daniel is frustrated, understandably so, because he came to learn karate. And all he had been doing was Mr. Miyagi's chores. He's exasperated. Mr. Miyagi shows Daniel uh, patiently that all along, even though he didn't know it, Daniel had been learning karate. Mr. Miyagi unleashes a series of punches and kicks on Daniel, and Daniel instinctively blocks them all with the motions of wax on, wax off, right? Sand the floor, paint the fence. He blocks all of those Punches and kicks instinctively. Well, Daniel is amazed. Mr. Miyagi says, come back tomorrow for more. Daniel looks down at his hands, uh, amazed at the skills that he didn't even know he had because all along he was being formed, though he didn't even know it, he was being formed in the ways of karate by going through the motions, quite literally, that this master teacher was prescribing for him to do. Because our habits form us, 
the things that we do are constantly forming us, whether we realize it or not. It's true in karate, it's true in all of life, and it's true in the spiritual life. This is part of why worship is so central in the Christian life. Worship is what we offer to God, but worship also forms us. As we go through the motions, so to speak, of worship, the rhythms of worship together on a Sunday morning, these actions form us in the ways of God. Even if we don't always know it's happening, it's happening. Even if at times we feel a little bit dull and cold in our walk with God and feel like we're just going through the motions, well, the motions matter. The motions are forming us. And the rhythms of worship are most forming when we intentionally show up, when we enter in willingly to these rhythms. We continue our series this morning, uh, we're calling Be the Church. Can we advance that slide? Thank you. Um, We've been looking at Scripture, uh, what it means to love one another and to love those around us like Jesus does. Uh, We've seen the necessary ingredients that make up a church. We've talked about what it means to have a corporate identity as the body of Christ. We've considered why we gather and the importance of fellowship. And this morning, as we celebrate our 45th anniversary as a church, we want to focus on worship, something so central to every church. But let's consider for a few minutes the worship, specifically, uniquely, that we do here uh, as a body every Sunday and how we can continue growing as a church by entering more deeply into worship together. Let's pray as we turn to God's Word. Our Father, we come, as we do every Sunday, in complete dependence on you, asking your Spirit to open our eyes and our hearts to the truth of your Word. Unite us as a body around the truth of Scripture and this call that you've put on each of our lives to be the church together. And so grow us as a body for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, before we consider how, as a body, uniquely we worship every Sunday, the specifics, practically, let's get our bearings for just a moment as we ask why we worship. Why do we worship? Well, we give praise, we give reverence to God, we lift up God first and uh, most simply because God commands it. Uh, Matthew 4, Jesus is answering Satan's temptations, and he quotes Deuteronomy 6, and Jesus says, For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And hallelujah, that word throughout the Old Testament, that word of praise so prevalent, is itself a command to praise the Lord, to praise Yahweh. God commands our worship, but he doesn't just command our worship from a distance and then wait for us to show up. No, God initiates the whole thing. God moves toward us. From the beginning, we see that uh, in the garden, God moving toward us. He's the one initiating the relationship, and then we respond in worship. So take a look if you have a Bible in front of you, John chapter 4. We just heard the first section read. So in this passage, Jesus goes out of his way to, uh, to meet this Samaritan woman who seems to be an outcast, really, in her community and as a Samaritan who was despised by the Jews. And she was a woman. And so this rabbi, this teacher, meeting with a woman privately, there was all sorts of reasons why this was maybe questionable uh, in the eyes of the culture. But Jesus goes out of his way uh, to have this conversation with this Samaritan 
woman to reveal himself to her. Now, he's thirsty from uh, ministering and traveling, but he's the one in this passage that's offering her the true water, right? The living water. And he tells her things about herself that only he could know. He reveals uh, her sinful lifestyle, but not to condemn her, but to reveal her need for this living water that only he can provide. Well, she almost humorously changes the subject, as we often do when the spotlight is on us, right? But she brings up an important topic of worship. So look at verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, the Jews said that the holy mountain where they ought to worship was Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans argued, they said, no, the real holy mountain to them was Mount Gerizim in Samaria. And this argument went back and forth uh, over time. But Jesus answers her question pretty clearly here. Sorry, Samaritans, uh, the Jews are right. It's Mount Zion. But he goes further than that. He expands her uh, concept of worship and our concept of worship in light of who he is, in light of what he's doing. Look at verse 23. Jesus says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking, there's that initiative, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What a moment. That's me, Jesus said, the one you're talking about, the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Now, mountains and temples and physical locations could never uh, contain the glory and the presence of God. But even more so now, Jesus says, I'm ushering in a new era, bringing people to worship the Father in spirit and truth, less focused on a place, on a mountain, on a temple, but this relationship of spirit and truth. In verse 23, as we saw, Jesus said the Father is seeking worshipers. He's seeking out, actively seeking out, looking for worshipers. The Spirit is working in the hearts of people to draw them to seek after and to worship God. And this initiative is seen in the Son who took on flesh, who here in this passage went out of his way to reveal himself to this single Samaritan woman and invite her into worship, to worship the Father through him. And for all of us, God showed the initiative ultimately as Jesus gave his life on the cross, as he rose again. To make the way for us to come to God unhindered in this relationship of worship. To give us this living water of eternal life. So if you don't know Christ, the invitation is for you to know that God is moving toward you. God is seeking after you. He's desiring you to stop giving your heart to lesser things. To stop focusing only on yourself and to turn and find this relationship that you were created for. And we as believers, we worship God because our triune God initiates the relationship. 
God moves toward us and we respond with hearts of praise and worship. We also worship to express our love to God. At a former job I had some years back, I was uh, talking with a group of guys there and they were having a conversation uh, about the importance of telling their wives, I love you. And there was varying opinions in the group. One guy said, you know what, I told my wife I loved her on our wedding day and I'll let her know if that ever changes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Husband of the Year Award. Uh, Probably not in his future. Uh, Why? Because love is expressed, isn't it? Love is demonstrated. So one of the ways that we show our love to God is, is worship. It's by practically prioritizing gathering together for worship. Not primarily out of duty, but as a as an overflow of this relationship we have, this grace that's been poured out on us by Christ, this grace that we've received. But we also worship, to come back to where we started, we also worship because it's good for us, because it's formative for us, it's transformative for us. Worship guides and protects our hearts. God commands our worship for the sake of his own glory, but it's also for our good. Because we're created in the image of God, and so when we turn to lesser things than God to try to find ultimate meaning and purpose and pleasure in other things other than God, we fall short. We lose out on the life, this fullness of life that we were created for. Everybody worships something. We're created that way. That's part of our creation in the image of God. We're worshiping people. But because of sin, the reformer John Calvin famously said that human nature is like an idol factory. And because of sin, that's our default. We're constantly trying to substitute other things in the place of God. And this is why worship is so vital. Because it's not just obedience to God that we come to worship. He deserves our worship. But our worship is necessary to keep our hearts pointed in the right direction. See, we're always being formed, we're always being influenced by what we spend our time on. Think for just a minute for you personally. Think about the time maybe that you spend on social media, the time uh, watching cable news, the time being entertained, and any, any number of things, not at all bad things in and of themselves, but just give it some thought. Because we need to be aware of the formative power of all of these things that we give our time to that we spend our time doing. Like in The Karate Kid, Daniel thought he was only waxing the car, right? But he was actually learning the ways of karate. He was being formed. We think sometimes we're just a passive observer, maybe on social media. Flip, flip, there's the motions for you. Wax on, wax off, right? We're flipping through. We think we're just passive observers, but maybe slowly as we might be spending too much time there, we're being formed We might be being formed in a spirit of of envy, of materialism, of discontentment. We may think all the hours we spend watching the news, we're we're just gaining information, right? We're just being responsible citizens. But if we spend too much time going through those motions, what happens? We're being formed in a spirit of fear. We're being formed in a spirit of putting too much worry and focus on the temporary uh, over the eternal. 
too much time on Netflix. We might not realize the ways the values of the world are just seeping into us. Brothers and sisters, we're being formed. Always. And again, let me be clear. All of these things are not bad in and of themselves. We simply need to realize the formative power of the things that we do. So let's never forget that worship is vital to our spiritual health and our growth. There's a Latin phrase uh, in church history that makes this point. Lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. Any of you uh, fluent in Latin? Uh, I'm not, but roughly that means what is prayed is what is believed is what is lived. And this is a really important concept throughout the history of the church. The prayers we pray, the worship, the liturgy, the, what we participate in, the practices that we do in worship form our beliefs. They impact our beliefs, and then our beliefs, of course, impact our behavior, practically our lives. As author James K.A. Smith reminds us, the church's worship is the heart of discipleship. See, whether we realize it or not, our worship practices inform form our beliefs, which then forms our behavior. And that's some of why we worship, but let's take a few moments and consider how we worship. When God revealed himself to Israel, he gave Moses lots of specifics, didn't he? If you've ever read through the books of Moses, maybe got bogged down occasionally there in Leviticus. Uh, But God gave Moses many details of how the people were to worship him uh, at the tabernacle and then at the temple. They could not come to God just any way that they uh, felt like, which shows God's holiness, his perfection, his otherness. God prescribed the way that the people would come to him and worship. But as Jesus told the Samaritan woman here, Jesus changed some things. The veil in the temple representing our separation from God's holy presence was torn in half when Jesus died on the cross. Because of Jesus, our sins are forgiven and we enter in freely now into the presence of our holy God. And as we come to the New Testament, Scripture talks a lot about worship in the church of God's New Testament people. But you'll notice there, there are very few hard and fast rules for worship. Instead, the New Testament gives us elements of worship, like like prayer and praise, giving, confession, preaching, communion, right? And it gives us principles for worship, like when Paul told the Corinthian church that worship should be orderly. So there is great freedom for how we worship in church. And part of the beauty of the church worldwide is, is the diversity of worship styles across cultures, And in this church, we certainly want to embrace that freedom. We're an independent church. We're a non-denominational church. And so we have a unique way of doing things like every church does. But we also seek to value the history of the church. One of our values is legacy in worship. Because we want to elevate historic elements of Christian worship. We think we don't need to reinvent the wheel when it comes to worship. And we probably shouldn't. If you've been around Trinity for a while, or, or if you're newer to Trinity, maybe you've just looked at our online uh, bulletin, maybe you'll, you've noticed that we follow a four-part uh, worship pattern, worship service order. The specifics change uh, week to week, but the core elements are the same, and that's intentional. By the third century, churches were following this general pattern of worship. 
And you may have seen this slide uh, before, maybe in a new member's class. But there's a movement to worship, which this graphic shows. First, we have the call to worship, sometimes called the gathering in other church traditions. You, you may just think this is the time for announcements and just some administrative stuff like that, but the call to worship plays an important function in the rhythm of our worship together. We are called to worship at the start of our service because God initiates worship. We take a moment to prepare our hearts to enter more deeply into worship. We hear the reading of Scripture and we respond in corporate confession. We're assured of our forgiveness in Christ and then we respond in praise. Do you see that in just those few moments we walk through the story of the gospel? We walk through the truth and the power of the gospel story. We all come from different places around the the metroplex and we bring whatever stresses or concerns might be on our hearts, and we come in this room and we sit down, we sing and praise. The call to worship is sort of a wake-up call to try to lay those things down for just a few moments, to prepare our hearts, to lift up, to honor and adore our triune God. Pastor and author Tim Keller describes the call to worship this way. He says, the call to worship is nothing less than a command for you and me to recognize what our soul is boasting in. It is to see what our soul is clinging to, all the things we're dreaming about and looking to, and to ground your glory, to root your identity, your confidence, your hope in this fact that the Lord of the universe, who knows the stars all by name, knows you and loves you. That's your glory. That's the boast. Every call to worship is a call to do that. The chances are that's a bit higher view of the call to worship than many of us have, right? And that's okay, right? Because the rhythm itself is formative. Going through that rhythm every Sunday is formative, even if we don't always realize it. And then we come back uh, to the ministry of the Word, Every week we hear Scripture read before the sermon and then proclaimed during the sermon as we seek to submit ourselves to God's Word. The Holy Spirit who inspired the written Word is present in our midst as the Word is proclaimed. The Spirit applies it in the heart of every hearer. Because we can all hear the same sermon. We can all hear the same Scripture read. And as I'm sure you've experienced, that the Spirit applies it to our lives as He puts it on our hearts to contemplate the Word and applies it to our hearts in very different ways sometimes than those sitting right next to us. Then after we hear from God's Word who initiates our worship, we respond with prayers and offerings and songs of praise. We affirm the truth of our faith by reciting the Nicene Creed, which is itself an act of worship. We share sometimes transformation stories, testimonies of God's goodness and giving praise to God. All this is centered around the Word. And then we come uh, to the table. You'll notice that communion on this visual is graphically higher than the other parts of the service, and that's intentional. Historically, the table was viewed as the climax of the service rather than the sermon. We remember at the table the sacrifice of Jesus for us. We partake physically of the elements, the bread and the cup. And Jesus said he is present with us 
as we partake of his provision. Now, this is something that we do every Sunday. We do communion every Sunday, which is distinctive among churches like ours. And there's historical precedent for that, doing it every week. Now, sometimes I'll hear people say uh, they only do communion every once in a while to keep it special, right? Have you heard that? Now, I used to have that uh, way of thinking, and I, I get that logic. But historically, the church observed communion every week because it is special, okay? Because it is so foundational to our life of worship together. Remember that we walk through the gospel story in the call to worship. Then, of course, we hear the gospel proclaimed in the ministry of the word. Then at the table, we quite literally act out the gospel with our words and our actions as we eat and we drink together. What does the Apostle Paul say about communion? He says, every time we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we what? We proclaim by our act of doing it, by going through the motions, we're proclaiming the gospel, is what Paul says. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then again, we respond in praise after communion for the provision of Christ. Responding in worship for God's initiating love. And then lastly, we're dismissed with a benediction. This is a pastoral blessing to take the provision of Christ that you've just received in the Word and at the table into the coming week. It's not magic words, but there is scriptural precedent. There's, it's biblical to give blessing. Because we come together as God's people, we're grounded in our identity in Christ, and then we're sent out to proclaim the gospel, there's the gospel again, in our daily life throughout the week, in our words and in our actions. See, that's just the overview of how we worship together as a church. And it's, of course, not the only way, as we've said, to have a worship service. But this is how we as a body have landed uh, by our convictions in Scripture and drawing on the richness of historic worship. And it's the same reason why we observe the church calendar, because not just weekly, but yearly rhythms are formative in our spiritual life. You may be hearing some of this for the first time, or maybe you're new to Trinity, but it's good to be reminded why we do what we do. Because we go through seasons of life sometimes where things might feel a little dull. They might feel repetitive. We feel like, again, we're just going through the motions. And if that's where you are this morning, bring that to God. It's good to know where your heart is. And God can stir up your heart. And so bring that to God. But don't be too discouraged because, again, remember, the motions matter. Remember, wax on, wax off, right? We're being formed by what we do together as the church. So by all means, let's pray. Let's keep asking God as we prayed together in our corporate confession this morning to, that God would grow our longing, would grow our love for Jesus Christ. But let's not stop the motions because we're being formed as a body. So we sing songs of praise, wax on, right? So we pray in confession, wax off. You get the idea. We recite the creed as we hear the word and partake of communion. We're being formed. So as we celebrate 45 years of being the church, God working in this church, as we look to the future to see how we can be the church together more deeply, let's enter into worship with a renewed sense of God's initiating love and how we can respond. When we come together on a Sunday, we come with very different perspectives and personalities and gifts 
which is a good thing. So let's enter into worship. Let's engage in worship and participate in the rhythms of worship every Sunday as we enter the story of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we give you thanks for this incredible invitation to worship that we find throughout the Scripture, starting at the very beginning with when you created man and woman in your image. We thank you that because of Jesus, we can come freely into your presence. You've called us into your presence. You are here with us this morning. Help us more and more be the kind of worshipers that you, Father, are seeking. That Jesus was talking about in John chapter 4. Transform us, Father, as we worship together. May our words and our songs of praise, just the rhythms that we do together in worship, May it be pleasing to you for the glory of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Let us stand together.